Well, hello, everyone. I hope you guys are doing well. We are back again uh, for an emergency podcast because we know that the world has just been a crazy place the past couple of months, um, but it's gotten even more crazier uh, with the coronavirus um, uh, really taking a disastrous turn um, in the world. But right now in the United States, um, as we see increasingly more um, cases coming up, um, and I felt like it is important as a public health agent myself, somebody who has a master's in public health and has worked in the health field, um, that it's important that I um, use my platform to communicate um, to all of you guys really the facts and some of the myths around this, but also how you guys can better equip yourself and so I just felt like, you know what, I need to bring some of my friends who are just really um, knowledgeable knowledgeable about this, but particularly who just have a lot of information and are also public health um, agents. So I decided to bring my um, dear friend, um, Ali uh, Bazid on back. You guys probably know him. Um, he was on here talking about politics with me. Um, he is a riot, but he's brilliant. He's smart. He works for the NIH. He's a public health advisor for the NIH um, and really uh, also was a presidential management fellow um, as well. And so Ali has been around and is very knowledgeable and has the credibility to talk about this um, effectively um, and, and really give us some information as well as to how we can better deal with this. And so um, y'all welcome my, my my dear friend, um, Ali. Hey, Ali. Hey, hey, Grace. Good to be with you. You as well. Um, so let me, let's get right into it because we're trying to keep you all this short. And so just kind of talk a little bit about you uh, for those who are just, who haven't gotten a chance to kind of, I guess, know you yet. Um, you know, uh, just a little bit of a kind of about your background and, and um, in public health. Yeah, it's uh, good to be with you. Um, uh, not under the circumstances, but excited. Um, not excited at all. Um, uh, looking forward to sort of sharing some knowledge that hopefully will um, uh, be useful for your listeners. So I'm a public health advisor with the National Institutes of Health. I was formerly a presidential management fellow across the Department of Health and Human Services uh, within the executive branch of the federal government. And I come from the University of Michigan with a master's in public health and a master's in public policy. And my background is, you know, focused on sort of population health policies. And in my current role um, as a public health advisor, my job is to sort of provide comprehensive program content consultation, expertise uh, across the entire spectrum of agencies, organizations, states, local health entities associated with our program activities, um, reviewing state plans, working on multi-state problems uh, that require careful coordination. And uh, following the coronavirus outbreak has been one of the things that I'm tasked with uh, doing in my own capacity as a private citizen, um, but it boosted a bit by my work um, with the NIH. Um, just important to note that anything that I speak here during this podcast, I'm speaking in my capacity as a private citizen uh, and doesn't necessarily reflect the views of the National Institutes of Health. And so I'm speaking here in my private capacity and definitely not on the capacity or uh, of the NIH. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ali. Yeah, and I think that's important for me to say here as well, um, even as a um, somebody who works with the CDC in, in a consultancy role um, and also being coming from CDC, you know, that this is uh, coming from my private lens as well as a citizen, but also as a public health agent. And so please do not, um, you know, uh, misquote us on here. And, and But we just wanted to use our knowledge and our background to also be a user and Aliyah University and I both went to University of Michigan um, at the School of Public Health there. And so just kind of a little bit background. So on um, December 31st, um, 2019, um, it was declared um, a public health emergency by WHO, the World Health Organization. Um, and in January, um, well, on January 30, 30th, it was declared a public health emergency, but on December 31st, 19 is when um, the cases began to emerge in one China. Um, and we've seen the cases really um, just rise up from 160,000 people infected to 170,000 people infected. We've had approximately about 7,000 7, deaths um, across the world. Um, and so this is now been declared on March 11th, y'all, um, as a pandemic, uh, which means it's a global uh, emergency. It's a global issue now. Um, and so we just wanted to get on here to talk about, you know, for short, we're going we're gonna to go back and forth between coronavirus and COVID-19 um, for short. So uh, we will um, bounce back and forth. But Ali, let's just dive in. I mean, I feel like today's probably, we, we, we are normally not this serious, but um, because this is a very serious topic and a very serious issue um, on all of our minds um, and affecting us, Ali, can you just kind of give us a little bit about, you know, information about what is um, COVID-19 and, and coronavirus? What is it um, and, and, you know, how do people get infected uh, with coronavirus? Yeah, um, it's kind of, you know, Grace and I usually uh, hop on the phone and uh, hop on any type of forum and uh, we usually have a ton of fun and discuss a lot of different things. Um, so I wish we were talking about something different, but this is a very serious emergency and I think it's really important to get reliable, sound information out there. By no means do I consider myself a virologist, infectious disease expert, but again, I think having both Grace and I on here to discuss some of the public health implications I think are really important so that folks can be better um, informed about what this is, why it's so serious, and some steps that we should be all thinking about in terms of mitigation moving forward. And so um, the coronavirus, as you said, uh, Grace, um, it originated in Wuhan in China sometime in December um, in terms of how, where, um, how soon we were sort of made aware of this as a global community. A lot of that's up in the air. Those are a lot more political questions. Uh, we'll leave that for a different conversation. But um, <laughs> we do know that in January, this uh, made its way over to the U.S. I mean, we live in a globalized world. Borders, uh, viruses don't respect borders. Um, and these things are traveling as the flow of people, goods, uh, and else uh, travel across borders. And so um, we had some insight that this um, sort of was on the shores of America sometime in January. Um, and so the, the coronavirus, short 
COVID-19 um, is a novel form of the coronaviruses. There are other forms of the coronaviruses, including four common ones that are normally responsible for some of the common cold symptoms that we feel, especially in children, um, which is kind of strangely why some children uh, are, are immunized from some of the more serious complications that you're seeing in the elderly population. Uh, it's a it's an unproven theory, but it's a, it's sort of an idea out there that children mm-hmm. are a bit more resilient because they're dealing with some of those more common cold symptoms that are uh, wrought on by the four most common cor- coronaviruses. And so since this is a novel coronavirus, um, it there's no immunity for it in the population at all. Mm-hmm. And since there's no immunity for it in the population, what happens is it is it's it's extremely contagious and it's spreading from population to population and it's inflicting certain populations and age groups harder because there's absolutely no immunity and you establish immunity when number one this is something that's been around and number two when you have a vaccine neither of those two issues are at play here we don't have a vaccine because vaccines take time to develop and even though we're turning this around in record time in terms of how quickly the nih was able to put together a vaccine we have very stringent and, you know, r- rightly so, stringent rules around clinical trials and human trials. Um, and so we've gotten this thing turned around very quickly. But since we don't have a vaccine yet, and since this is a novel coronavirus, uh, it's really ravaging the global community and the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's some of the more origination of story of the coronavirus. Absolutely. And and I think it's, a, you know, it's important for people to know that there are so many factors that goes into just coming up with a vaccine and it's not something that you can just come up with. Um, and, and Ali already mentioned that. And I know um, a huge, a huge part of this is also kind of people really genuinely trying to figure out what's the difference between a flu, um, a regular cold and, and so forth and so on. Right. And so I think it's important to kind of establish what are the symptoms of coronavirus and COVID-19? Because it is very similar to a flu in a sense of the feeling that you may have. Obviously, there are, you know, mild, moderate, severe to extreme um, levels of this. Mm-hmm. It's 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 what makes this so challenging. Is number one, we're still in flu season. Um, it's mm-hmm. March, and so folks are dealing with cold symptoms and also allergies because we're starting to enter spring season in so many uh, areas across the country, including here in DC. And so one of the so, so the official symptoms of COVID nineteen um, that are more common. There are three common symptoms. One is the establishment of a fever. Two is the establishment of a dry cough, and then shortness of breath. Um, those three are usually pretty rare in the common cold. You do get a dry cough with the common cold. You do get a dry cough with the flu. You do get a fever sometimes with the flu. Um, mm-hmm. You don't really get a shortness of breath with the common cold or the flu. You sometimes get that with allergies. And, and, and see, by saying this out loud, you start to realize why this is so difficult because Absolutely. anybody now that's coughing or sneezing, um, there's a sense of paranoia. There's a sense of anxiety. Folks are on edge. And so anyone who's coming into contact with anyone sneezing or coughing, um, I'm sure is feeling some kind of paranoia, but I think it's important for your listeners to know that um, the most common symptoms are fever, dry cough, shortness of breath. Other people are feeling things like headaches, aches and pains, Mm -hmm. a sore throat and fatigue. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the more rare symptoms, uh, you know, I'm getting texts, you know, I got a text this morning from someone uh, who said that they were getting some of these symptoms like diarrhea and runny nose and sneezing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and those aren't necessarily associated, um, associated as in you have diarrhea, you have 
have runny nose, you have sneezing, therefore you have COVID. That's mm-hmm. that's not that's not the association we're making. Um, again, the three most common symptoms are fever, dry cough, shortness of breath. Absolutely, and I think you know it's important to also note that people, as it's some patients may may experience this, and this varies also, which we'll get get into kind of the underlying issue, underlying potential medical issues that some people may have, and how that may even exacerbate some of this as well. So at least we know about eighty percent of people recover so far, according to WHO, we, about 80% uh-huh. of people are recovering. One out of six people who get infected become seriously ill and develop, you know, difficulty with uh, breathing. And so what I want to, you know, from that, what I kind of want to get into is talk about of, of who is our vulnerable populations here, because I know I have a mother who has underlying health issues, right? And and I'm like, mother, you are not leaving my house. You are not leaving this house, uh-uh. right? Uh-huh. And, and that's a real concern. And so, yeah, I mean, look. So, so, so here's here's what I think people should be thinking about. Number one, there is no such thing as an overreaction when it comes to this. This is this is a pandemic. This is a global emergency. This is something that none of us have seen in our lifetimes. This is different than the H1N1 outbreak uh, about a decade ago. This is different than the SARS outbreak. This mm-hmm. is different than the Ebola and the MERS outbreak. Um, this is really unique. And anyone who's comparing it to the 1918 Spanish flu is not overreacting. This is mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that you know we don't really understand quite yet. So it's important to set a qualifier that we're learning by the hour new information. And so all the data that we do have currently is is based on best available. And so that data is helpful though because it can teach us some things. Absolutely. And one of the things that it's teaching us out of China is that we do know that the group that's most susceptible to fatality are is the age group between 60 and 80, but that's stratified a little bit differently. So we know so far based on best available data that mm-hmm. if you're 80 and older, you're your your um, uh, case fatality rate is somewhere around 15%. If you're between 70 to 79, it's somewhere between 8 to 10%. And if you're between 60 to 69, we know it's somewhere between 3 to 5%. Um, another stat that we know is that this thing so far is likely at least 10 times more fatal than flu. Uh, mm-hmm. Initially, you might have heard some misinformation out uh, from different sort of sectors and uh, politicians indicating that this thing is similar to the flu. Um, it's not. It's not similar mm-hmm. to the flu at all. This is much more deadly than the flu. And something else that's coming out, though, uh, again, there's a lot of misnomers. There's a lot of different qualifiers. Uh, a new sort of statistic and data that came out of France today is that out of 300 patients who are in the ICU, the intensive care unit, about half of them are, are, under, are under the age of 50. And mm-hmm. so we're learning a ton. We do know that the older you are, the, the higher your likelihood of fatality, of complications. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know, though, that that data is changing. We do know also so that if you have chronic conditions, irrespective of how old you are, you will face certain complications at a higher rate than others. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're younger and you mm-hmm. are stricken with this virus, uh, you tend to fit more in that 80% range of individuals who have mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. But even within that mild symptoms, that 80% group, about half of those individuals are getting pneumonia and pneumonia is is still you know it's not the most lethal but it's still a pretty serious condition um mm-hmm. and so my point being is I'm painting a picture of, it's a muddy picture because we're learning a ton. Yes, we do know if you're older, then you're going to deal with complications at a higher rate. If you have chronic conditions and comorbidities, you're probably going to deal with complications at a higher stage. 
Another thing that I'm really concerned about that I don't, I'm not really hearing enough about is those mm. patients or those individuals with mental health issues, those uh, who have yeah. anxiety, those who have uh, different disorders, bipolar, those who are dealing with high blood pressure, for example, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's separate from mental health. Um, but, but I'm not really hearing enough about those groups. And, you know, it kind of struck me the other day when an elderly family member called me and said, hey, my blood pressure is going up. And I said to myself, you know, damn, like we're not even thinking about this age group or this uh, demographic specifically. And so mm-hmm. it's important to keep in mind that we're operating based on what we know, based on the best available data that's coming out of China, that's coming out of Germany, that's coming out of a lot of the different countries mm-hmm. that are producing studies. But that, that information is changing drastically. One other note, since we're talking about age groups, we do know for certain that in South Korea, there's a study that came out yesterday that sort of compared South Korea and Italy. We do know that in South Korea, that the age group of 20 to 29 year olds are being infected at pretty high rates. That age group, mm-hmm. by and large, is going to be okay. They're going to deal, they're going to be in that age group of 80% of individuals who deal with mild symptoms. But the reason why that's so concerning is because in this country, you're starting to see it this weekend. It's St. Patrick's Day weekend. And so you're seeing a lot of college students. You're seeing a lot of younger individuals and young adults go out to bars and hang out in large groups, despite the professional advice of, of <laughs> practitioners, is that, that those individuals are still getting the virus mm-hmm. and they are very reliable transmitters of that virus. Absolutely. And so they go home. They're going home to their elderly parents. They're going home to their older parents. They're mm-hmm. going to to visit their grandparents. Mm -hmm. They are very reliable transmitters of this virus. And so that's the concern. And that's why we're stressing at this point, social distancing, social isolation, staying at home unless absolutely Mm -hmm. necessary, because this is not just about you. This is about protecting someone you don't know, because referring back to what we started with, we don't have a vaccine for this thing yet. And this is a novel virus and it's inflicting the global community at a really, really high rate. It's important to also discuss, you know, how does this spread? Because oftentimes, you know, uh, we've seen people who are not ill using Max, for example, to cover their mouth. And we have, we've also known that it's not very, it's not much help to you if you're not ill, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you are ill is when it's, it's more useful. But really, let's talk about, Ali, I mean, the spread of it. You know, how does it spread? Because there are some myths also about the spread. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is, um, and, and, and I feel pretty confident saying this uni- uniformly, um, Not that they're available, but even if you do see that they're available, no one should go out and buy masks. Those masks Mm -hmm. are needed by healthcare professionals. There's a significant shortage across hospitals and clinics across the country, EMS. Those folks need the masks because they're interacting Mm -hmm. with people that may have this virus. So number one, not that they're available because I'm seeing that they're sold out just about everywhere and there's a significant shortage. But if you do come Mm -hmm. across those masks, no one should buy them. Those masks are really helpful in the traditional sense for people who are already sick and for people to, to, to sort of prevent um, people from spreading whatever illness they're stricken with. And so people don't need that because they're much more needed by healthcare professionals. Um, and the, mm-hmm. the other thing about masks that people don't fail to realize is those masks are really reliable uh, collectors of bacteria and viruses themselves. And so if people are wearing them, 
it's important to keep in mind that those are things that should be tossed into the trash. Um, at, you know, if you're using it for at least a day, maybe you can get a day out of it, but those things are a hotbed of bacteria and viruses. So again, mm-hmm. I think the lesson out of this should be, no one should be buying a mask. No one should be wearing a mask unless you yourself are sick and you're traveling outside your house and you shouldn't be doing that anyway. But transmission this thing is spreading from person to person. Um, and so it's uh, between people who are in close contact with one another within about six feet, which is why we're stressing social distancing, stay six feet away mm-hmm. from other people. Um, and the way mm-hmm. it's being passed on is through respiratory droplets produced when an infected person coughs or sneezes. Um, we have some data mm-hmm. that shows us that if you're coughing without sort of blocking that cough or sneezing, without uh, blocking that sneeze, it travels about six feet. Um, and then those droplets can land in the mouths or noses of people who are nearby or possibly being held into the lungs of people. Um, those droplets can land on a surface. Someone touches the surface and then touches their face. So we know that this thing spreads from person to person. Um, we also know that this thing, and there's some there's some controversy coming out about the term aerosolize, um, but we, we should let your viewers know that this is not something that sticks around in the air, um, mm-hmm. which is, Thank you know, you comp- compare that. that to measles, for example. Measles mm-hmm. is so dangerous and so contagious because measles is really good at uh, attaching to a dust particle in the air and then sticking in the air, staying in the air um, anywhere mm-hmm. from a half an hour to an hour or more. And so measles is incredibly contagious for that reason. We have no evidence showing that the coronavirus is transmitted through the air in that fashion. It's um, So when someone says it's transmitted through the air, you don't need to worry about going outside, for example. You don't need to worry about going for a walk. Mm-hmm. You should be avoiding restaurants, of course, and a lot of states are already shutting down restaurants and bars and you know libraries and theaters. Um, But by going outside, you can't catch this thing. We don't have any evidence of that. And so that's, that's how this disease is being spread. Now, the reason why this is really dangerous, this, this virus and why it's spreading so much is because um, we're learning that those who are asymptomatic, asymptomatic meaning that yep. you're not showing any of those symptoms of the dry cough, mm-hmm. fever, you're not really coughing and sneezing as someone who was sick. Um, even if you're asymptomatic, you can still have the virus. And so let's say that you're someone who caught the virus. What we're learning so far based on best available data is that 98% of people with the COVID-19 virus, with the coronavirus, 98% of people, they're asymptomatic up until 11.1 days after being inf- uh, infected with the virus, meaning they're not showing any symptoms. 98% mm-hmm. of people aren't showing symptoms until 11 days mm-hmm. after they get infected with the virus. The median is about five days. So let's you know put that into the larger, uh, larger picture of things. You can have the virus, but not show any symptoms anywhere from mm-hmm. five to 14 days after being infected with the virus. But during the time where you're showing no symptoms while you're asymptomatic, yep. but you have the virus, we're learning that this thing is incredibly contagious and folks are shedding the virus at a really high rate. Latest data shows us that it's about 10 times more infectious than the SARS virus. And so this thing is there's a reason why we're telling people to stay at home. There's a reason why we're telling folks to not leave the house unless it's an emergency, unless you need to go to the you know pharmacy, unless you need to pick up some groceries, um, unless you absolutely have to go to work and remote work is not an option for you. It's because even if you're showing no symptoms, this thing is incredibly contagious. And that's actually what we think is driving the transmission rates so high in the United States. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think you've covered an array of things about, because I know there's been a lot of questions around that is spread through air. Um, and I, I'm so glad you touched on that because that was going to be my next question. And so you were on top of it. Yeah. It is important to know that this is a pandemic. This is a significant issue that we should all be worried about. The whole hashtag, right? Keep calm, but change mm-hmm. your lifestyle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. keep calm but change your lifestyle right because it's not just about you and which, which i love that you said that because the reality is i care enough about my parents um that i know that i am even right now taking precautions and and making sure that we put things in place to make sure that, that nobody's coming into the house uh sorry, for my mother mm-hmm. you know how do we as people mitigate this yeah, I, I think that's an excellent <laughs> point. I mean, it, it's it's this is this is a global emergency, and this is a true moment to show social solidarity and especially extend that solidarity to someone that you don't know, because you mm-hmm. yourself may not be vulnerable. You yourself may be young. You yourself may be healthy. This is about protecting those who are most vulnerable in our society, including our elderly who are already suffering from a state apparatus that doesn't necessarily protect for their security. Um, and so this is about protecting someone that you don't know. And so the things that we should all be focused on in this moment is, and I, I understand, I understand the crowd that says, hey, we should be preaching and you not, we should be preaching information that doesn't get people to panic. We should inform everyone to keep calm and carry on. Um, this isn't a moment to keep calm and carry on. This is a moment to keep calm, but th- it's, it's a moment to keep calm and change fundamentally everything we're doing about our day to day for the next period of time. And we don't know what that period of time is going to be, but what we do know is that this thing is getting worse and will get worse before it gets better. And I'm sort of drawing with my hand, the curve here. We're not, we can't stop this thing. This thing, it's not about stopping it at this point. You might have heard the term, your followers, your listeners may have uh, uh, heard the term, we're, we're trying to flatten the curve. And so this is about mm-hmm. slowing this thing down so as not to overwhelm the healthcare system because that's the major concern at this point. And right. so what we're preaching to folks at this point is, number one, unless you absolutely have to, stay at home, sit your ass at home. It's okay. We're going to have to sort of change the way we function our days. Again, this is unprecedented territory for us and it requires unprecedented action. So anyone that can, anyone that has the privilege to, anyone that doesn't need to leave their home should be staying at home. And while you are at home, practice social distancing, even with your family, especially if within your family, you have members with chronic health conditions and you have mm-hmm. uh, elderly folks in your family. And what we're telling people is to practice good hygiene, wash your hands frequently and thoroughly using the best thing at our disposal, soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. The way I'm doing it is ABCs all the way through Z, do it once, that's 20 seconds. Or some people are doing the happy birthday song twice. Um, people aren't always around the sink. And if you're not around the sink, you can use alcohol-based hand sanitizer if it has 60% or more uh, alcohol. Um, if you're uh, coughing and sneezing, cough into your elbow or a tissue if you have a tissue available. Once you do that, throw that tissue into the trash immediately afterwards. And then I think mm-hmm. the most important thing is 
while you're mm-hmm. washing your hands, of course, I think that's the most important thing. And then coughing and sneezing into your elbow or into a tissue. Avoid touching your face, your nose, mm-hmm. your eyes, your mouth with unwashed hands. Because we do know that this thing is being spread by respiratory droplets. We do know that this thing enters the mm-hmm. body when you're touching your face. And that's the way that this virus spreads. And so this is about flattening the curve. Unfortunately, people will get infected. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're going to see more deaths here in the U.S. And for a lot of your listeners, I'm sure they're also anxious about testing. And, you know, if they themselves I'm, I'm, I'm have their own sim- symptoms. Yeah, um, th- th- it's 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 very challenging. There's a lot of misinformation out there. I think there were some uh, there were some things that could have been done better earlier on. Um, but I think we should be focused on where we're going moving forward. And where we're Absolutely. going moving forward is that we received a sort of commitment on Friday um, with the president and his administration and his task force that testing is about to ramp up across the country. There are talks mm-hmm. that we're going to have sort of drive through testing similar to what they're doing in South Korea. One of the reasons why South Korea has been so, um, quote unquote, successful in reducing or slowing or flattening their curve is because they're testing more. And when you test, I mean, you know, this grace, like surveillance, monitoring, testing, that's the cornerstone of public health. And so Mm -hmm. we need to know where the, where the cases are in order to be able to uh, uh, implement more effective mitigation strategies. And so if folks are experiencing symptoms, um, what I want them to know is that it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be taking a test because those tests, I think, are more reserved for vulnerables at this point. Um, Absolutely. I read this morning or this afternoon, Michigan, their lab is only capable of running something like 150 tests a day. And so they're going to start mm-hmm. prioritizing different kinds of methods to, uh, to, to, to test those who are more vulnerable. And so um, there are hotlines in different states. There are private sector entities. There are public hospitals. There are clinics that are now going to have the capacity and ability to test folks for the coronavirus. My best Mm -hmm. advice is to monitor your local health departments, to monitor your social media feeds, to find out where you can go. If you are someone who's been in touch with someone who is tested positive, that's probably the only time that you should be thinking about getting a test because a lot of people Mm -hmm. are going to need those tests. And then just lastly, to finish off that point, I think it's important to realize that even those who are being tested positive, in many cases, if there's if if their their symptoms are quote unquote stable, they're being asked to go back home um, and save those beds for other people that are more serious cases. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of information. A lot of it's evolving. Um, my best advice is to follow best practices: hygiene, washing your face, not touching your face, uh, washing your hands, not touching your face, uh, coughing and sneezing mm-hmm. into your elbow or tissue, uh, social distancing, staying home unless absolutely necessary. I'm sorry, a coffee shop is not necessary. A gym right now is not necessary. Going to your friend's house for a hangout is not necessary. Going to a bar if it's still open in your state is not necessary. Going to a library or a theater is not necessary. So people need to stay at home and people need to practice best practices there. Like he said, sit your ass down. Yes. Um, in, in, in the most loving way, y'all, um, when you are able to test better, when we are able to, then we can contact trace better. So being able to identify people who have been in contact with people with the, with the disease as well. You know, the reality is, is, is we have to be very conscious for each other and, and, and we can't risk uh, putting, uh, you know, our neighbors, uh, uh, our families and people we don't know at risk. And so uh, 
be considerate. And, you know, one thing I want to say is stop fighting over toilet paper. Stop fighting over groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, stop fighting over things in, in, in the shop. The reality is that is not where the issue lies. It lies in you doing your good um, human thing by taking care of yourself, by uh, practicing what Ali just talked about, you know, isolation. And, and there's different ways, right, whether it is FaceTiming your friends. I've done lots of that. Ali has been on the FaceTime that we have all this technologies to keep in touch with our loved ones. Um, and so utilize that, you know, um, the parties, the hangs out, the hangouts can wait. Um, let's get this under control. Let's take care of each other. Let's be sensitive and share. Um, actually, you know, if you need to check up on your neighbor, do that. Um, if you need to figure out ways that way you can contribute to small businesses, do that. There are still things that we can do as people um, to make sure that our neighbor, what I mean by our neighbor, it's not just people who live next to you, uh, people that you may know from work, just check up on them, um, text them, meaning don't leave your house and go to their house, but text them, call them, um, email them, see how they are doing and share your resources. Like like for me, for example, I, I went to give, give away some of my toilet paper to a friend who just couldn't find any because it was completely bought out. Ali, is there anything that you want to say? I really just want to echo all of your um, wonderful messages there. I think it's important for people to keep in mind that hoarding supplies, other people need supplies too in order to Mm -hmm. reduce the rate of infection. And if those folks don't have those supplies, then we're not slowing the spread and we're not flattening the curve. And just as importantly, I think it's so important to keep in mind because I, I am concerned about the trade-off between social distancing and social isolation, mm-hmm. especially amongst an already vulnerable and very socially isolated population. elderly population. Absolutely. And so what I'm, what I'm recommending to folks is redefine your social interactions. Like Grace said, FaceTime, have coffees over FaceTime, ha- watch movies mm-hmm. together. A lot of people are watching mm-hmm. Netflix and Hulu. I know I live with someone who's watching uh, Love Island and, you know, there's a lot of shows <laughs> on Hulu and there's a lot of things to watch and we have a lot of time to do that. Watch shows together over FaceTime, have dinner together, have cookouts, have wine lucks, have potlucks, have all of those things over FaceTime and call your elderly folks and call your elderlies in your community because social isolation is debilitating. And we're going to be in this for a while, folks. This is not going to be a one to two week thing. This is going to be a one to two to three month thing. And If our best estimates show that this thing won't peak until May or June in the U.S. Um, And so we're in this for the long haul, but we are in it together. And it's important for folks to be there for each other. Don't hoard supplies. Keep your neighbors in mind. Keep the elderly in mind and interact with one another because we are all in this together. This is a moment for true social solidarity. Absolutely. It has no face. It has no race. Um, it has no gender. Um, and I love what I, I know I'm going to quote him, but I love what P, P did he say, uh, said um, on his uh, Instagram. He says, you know, conversations will not be canceled. Relationships will not be canceled. Love will not be canceled. Songs will not be canceled. Reading will not be canceled. Self-care will not be canceled. Hope will not be canceled. Uh, we May we lean into the good stuff that remains. And I think uh-huh. hope, y'all, y'all know this. I always got to end up with the hope. You know, hope without action is useless. Faith without works, y'all. This is, this faith without works is useless. Hope without action is useless. And so, you know, the action is be, be, be diligent. 
um, care enough to, to, to do what we've said today um, and to practice what you preach. Y'all, no matter who you are, what your background is, or what you believe, what you don't believe, um, just this is, this is very much so um, a time for us to show care for people that we, we don't know, people that we do know. So thank you so much to my dear friend, um, <laughs> Ali, for being on here and for being just the expert that he, honestly, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's been on this. Uh, we both have, but he, I think even he's even more on this than uh, most people that I know. And just really, this is his work as well, meaning um, just being able to study uh, diseases and policies, so forth and so on. Uh, and so thank you, friend. Um Thank you Chris. for being Thanks on for here. Uh, uh, and uh, I hope this is useful to you guys. You guys know how to reach us. Um, and so thank you guys and have a blessed one, y'all. Okay, peace out. Bye. The Cradle was edited and produced by Chi Yang and Jasmine Jones. The music was produced by Gordon Keith. You can also find his music on iTunes, Facebook.